we're so glad to see you today. I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online as well today. Glad that you could be a part of the service. Now, let me ask you, during this Christmas season, when everything's so busy and the holidays are coming, you've got all this planning and preparing and decorating, presents to buy, all the things that go into that. What does everybody want to do during that time? Move. <laughs> My wife and I moved this week. What is wrong with us? We moved on Tuesday. We can't find anything. It's a miracle we're here today. There was one point I wasn't sure if I was going to find Laura. We don't know what our names are. We don't know where we are, what's going on. And then tomorrow we've got to move some more stuff, and Tuesday we'll be coming back. It's going to be hectic. But, you know, we'll get there. Eventually we'll get there. We won't have a lot of decorations this year. We do have a lot of boxes, and hopefully we'll get to unpack some of those. But I hope you're going to have a great Christmas season, great Advent season. And I'm so glad that you're here to, to do it right and to worship with us in church. Now, family had sort of gotten overextended, gotten busy during Christmas, and they had gotten completely uh, overlooking their five-year-old daughter. They kind of pushed her to the side, trying to prepare, not really meaning to, for the Christmas holidays. Finally, the night before Christmas, on Christmas Eve, they got together with this little girl, their daughter, and she was going to say her prayers. When they went into her room, got her pajamas on, got her all ready, this is what she prayed. And God... Please forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. <laughs> now, that childish mistake summed up the ugly truth about Christmas for some people. Our worry over work and commitment and time and energy, overeating, a season of depression, a time to get beyond the holidays, a time to make it economically if you do, and we get caught up in all that, and we could join her in saying, God, forgive us our Christmases. Christmas wasn't always celebrated on December the 25th. There's nothing sacred about that date. In fact, in the early part of the church for over 300 years, Christmas was celebrated on January 6th in reference to Epiphany and the arrival of the three wise men. Actually, when Luke says there were shepherds in their fields keeping watch over the flocks by night, it probably would have been sometime between March and October. In 336 A.D., Christmas had become an ill-focused celebration, and people had forgotten the true meaning of Christmas. Some Christians got together, and they decided to change the pagan worship of the god of vegetation, Saturn, from December the 19th to December 25th. So some Christians got together and said, why don't we celebrate the birth of Christ and take a secular celebration and put a Christian celebration in its place? So on December the 25th, 336 A.D., it was selected because Christians wanted to show pagans how to celebrate. Now, almost 1,700 years later, we've almost reverted from a Christian celebration to a pagan one. For many people, it's not a Christian celebration. It's just a commercialization extravaganza, and we have to say, God, forgive us our Christmases. Do you want Christmas to be real this year? 
Here's a simple outline, but if we'll commit it ourselves to it, we'll discover the true meaning of Christmas. Let's look at it. First, we must find the star. That's number one. It says that the wise men saw the star. Why didn't everybody see the star? There were astrologers out looking. There were people out at night looking. Why didn't everybody see the star? How many of you mothers have kids who can't find anything? They're always calling you, I can't find my socks. I can't find my shoes. How many of you wives have husbands who can't find anything? They're always looking for a shirt or a pair of pants. How many of you husbands have wives who can't find their car keys or their purse? All of those things are right before our eyes. We just don't always see them, do we? Did you know people drive down the same road every day to work, but you don't always notice things. You don't always see things. You just kind of become blind to it. Now, how about your watch? Many of you are really sophisticated. You have an Apple watch. I can't even see my phone, much less an Apple watch. I got an old-fashioned watch. Well, as I like to say, it's vintage. I have a vintage watch. Now, without looking at your old vintage watch, let me ask you a question. Does your watch have numbers or dashes on it? Don't look at it. Numbers. Now look at it. And tell me, did you guess right? You know, sometimes we look, but we don't see anything. The star was right there if they could just see it. Years ago, there was a baseball game in the Florida State League where the Clearwater Phillies played the Osceola Astros. There were three umpires, and they all called the wrong play at first base against the Clearwater team. The stands started singing Three Blind Mice, and the organist started playing it. The umpire, Kevin O'Connor, ejected the organist from the game. His name was Wilbur Snap, and the crowd sang even louder when they ejected the organist. Clearwater won, and the next time Osceola came back, they sang that song again, and they handed out cheese, all because the umpires didn't see, did they? How well do you see the hand of God? You remember when that oxygen tank exploded aboard Apollo 13 back in April of 1970? The lives of three astronauts hung in the balance for an anxious four days. Worldwide attention focused on those three men, James Lovell, Fred Hayes, and John or Jack Swigert. Special prayers were offered by churches throughout the world. Thirteen nations, including the Soviet Union, offered assistance in the rescue mission. During that same rescue effort, a father of one of those astronauts gave an interview. And when he did, he said, you know, there's a fourth person on that, that capsule, in that capsule. And he was referring to God. When asked if he thought God played a role in the recovery of those astronauts, one of them replied that he prayed and he believed that God had directed them. Did you know God still directs people today? Just as he did years ago. The question is, are we looking and listening and available to hear 
the direction he's giving us. If we'll look for it, we can find it. We'll see the star. We can watch, and it's there. Second, we must feel the joy. One of my young friends at the early service came up to me last week, and he said, I want to tell you something. I think you're a good preacher. And I said, well, thank you so much. That's two people, you and my mother. I really appreciate that. And then he said this, I have an idea for a sermon for you. And I said, okay, what is it? He said, sometime you ought to preach on the difference in joy and happiness. That young man's been thinking, hasn't he? When those wise men saw the star, they were overjoyed. The scripture says when they saw it, they were overjoyed. Overjoyed is when you have more joy than you expected. Another way to say it is elation. And so a lot of folks don't feel the joy of Christmas at Christmas time, do they? Instead, some people are just sad, and it's a drab time for them. I, I read this past week in the news about an elderly lady who's going to spend Christmas alone. She said that her children and her grandchildren live overseas now, and there's no way for them to get together. And so it's just her, and she's going to be by herself. You know, somebody has said that the smallest package you'll ever see at Christmas is a person who's all wrapped up in him or herself. Now, maybe you and I could be that individual who would look beyond ourselves to find those individuals who need a little encouragement during the holidays. Somebody that maybe we could take a little gift to or make a phone call or send a text or an email. Someone that we could just give a little extra attention because they really feel alone and sad at Christmas. Those wise men felt the joy because when you and I see the star, we're going to feel the joy. When our children were little, we watched, you know, them singing in church. Children really enjoy themselves, don't they? They know how to have joy when they sing in church. We first moved to Opelika, Alabama. Our daughter, Catherine, was in elementary school, and Laura wanted to get her a special outfit because she was going to be singing with all the children in the Christmas program at church. And she ordered it online, and she was so excited. And it was looked like when she ordered it that it was going to be fur around the collar of this thing that she was getting for her. But when it came in, it was really made out of boa. Okay, that's feathers. Okay, now one other thing that you need to know that happened was that Laura went and got Catherine some tights because she couldn't find hers anywhere. We had just moved, hadn't been that long, and, and she couldn't lay her hands on them. So she got some. The only thing is, she got some a little bit different. They were ribbed. She didn't think that'd be a big deal. But Catherine got up there to sing, and boy, she was singing, and she had the joy. But here's what she would do. She would reach down every few minutes and scratch those legs with those rib tights on, and then she'd pop back up again. And when she did, those feathers would just float off into the room. People were waiting on a miracle to happen. They didn't know exactly what was taking place there. And she sang and had a good time. We've laughed and laughed and laughed about that over the years. When our kids were little, we experienced a lot of joy at our house at Christmas time. We sat down one night as a family, and we lit the candle for the Advent wreath, and we read the scripture together. Both of our girls, Elizabeth and Catherine, enjoyed it. But Catherine, who had just turned three, had her own perspective on things. The first night, when Laura called us all together, Catherine said, is it time for the ferocious? What she thought 
what she had heard was, is it time for the devotion? She was saying ferocious. That's what she thought she heard. And then Laura lit a match to light the Advent candle at the Advent wreath. And Catherine looked at that thing with amazement. She saw that match and she said, look, it's toothpicks with fire. It was amazing to her. Later on, Laura asked me to say a prayer after we'd had the ferocious, and Catherine quickly volunteered to pray and launched into the blessing. I'm going to tell you, we had a lot of joy at our house at Christmas. As those girls were getting ready for bed, Elizabeth took Catherine into the bathroom so they could brush their teeth and get ready. And Catherine came back into the family room, and what she announced was that Catherine, Elizabeth had given her just a little bit of mouthwash. And when she came back in, she came to me and she said, Daddy, I really do like that wash mouth. Of course, the way she said it, she couldn't speak plain. She said, wash mouth. That's what she said. Now, if you want to find the joy of Christmas, all you got to do is find the star, and the joy will come from being at the center of God's plan for your life. Those wise men followed the star, and they were overjoyed. The third thing is we need to follow the star. They followed the star to the place where the Christ child was born. Let me ask you. Do you know how to follow the star today? It doesn't always go in the direction you're traveling. You see, the star doesn't usually go to the place that's logical. Whenever you and I think we know what's best and we know what's right and we know what to do, we make decisions and God says, no, that's not the way I'm going to do it. We're going to do something totally different, something you didn't expect. It's going to be totally a different way. If you look in the second chapter of Matthew, you read verses 3, 4, and 5. When the star passed over Jerusalem, they all thought, hey, the baby's going to be born here. That's where it's going to take place. We all know what's going on. That's a logical place for the baby to be born. In fact, they went to the logical person, those wise men did, to find out where the baby would be born. They went to King Herod, didn't they? They said, surely the king will know. But God leads in a different way, and it's not always logical. Most of the time, when we think we know best, we're entirely wrong, and God says, no, we're going to go in a different direction. In fact, Jesus said to ones who, followed, who wanted to follow him, come along, but he said this, but before you do, let me remind you that birds have nests and foxes have holes, but I don't even have a place to lay down my head. You know why there are missionaries and Sunday school teachers and people in ministry and people visiting jails all over the world? Because they followed the star. They said, Lord, where are you going? We want to go with you. The king couldn't find the baby because he wasn't willing to follow the star. He was looking at something logical, but it wasn't logical. You see, when you follow the star, it's not always easy, but it is always a blessing. Several years ago, I was leading a devotional at a nursing home in Fort Walton Beach. There were several elderly patients in the nursing home. It was a few weeks before Christmas, and I was trying my best to encourage these folks during this Christmas season. It occurred to me as I spoke to them that many of them would probably just spend Christmas right there in that nursing home. I was sure that I was failing miserable in trying to encourage these folks when a little 
African-American lady spoke up in the corner and said, Amen. She caught my eye, and I watched her sitting there, nodding her head up and down in agreement. It was then that I noticed that she was blind. Both of her legs had been amputated above the knee. Her hands were all gnarled and her fingers from arthritis. Despite her difficulties, she continued to celebrate her faith. I can still see her sitting there today. She showed me a glimpse of Jesus. She was blind, but she knew how to follow the star. Fourth, we need to focus on him. It says they bowed down and they worshiped him. The wise men focused on Christ, but sometimes what do we focus on at Christmas? Decorations, presents, Santa Claus and poinsettias. Some kids in America know more about Santa Claus than they do about Jesus. If our kids know more about Santa Claus than they do Jesus, it's our fault. Now, we celebrated Santa Claus at our house. In fact, one year before Christmas, Santa Claus came to our house. And when he walked in the door, our daughters were standing there watching wide-eyed when he came in and called them both by name. He had their attention. Our granddaughter Collins recently dressed up, put her pajamas on, went with all of her little friends from school. They all wore their pajamas, and they rode the train, the Polar Express. And then they got to see Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus and sent pictures out with her sitting there with both of them. And they asked Collins, was that the real Santa Claus? Now, Collins has a Santa Claus that she visits every year there in Birmingham, and she's convinced he is the real one. He's the real thing. Collins, was that Santa Claus on the train the real one? You know what she said? Nope. He was a fraud. <laughs> a fraud? I mean, I could see her saying a fake. I didn't know what the word fraud meant till just a few years ago. I mean, she's six years old. Can you believe that? But you know what? We also taught our girls about Jesus, and we said, hey, Christmas is Jesus' birthday, and he's the real reason we celebrate. Do you know how Santa Claus came to be? Back in the third century, there was a bishop by the name of Nicholas. He was a bishop in Myra in Asia Minor, and his father was wealthy, and so he liked to take his dad's money, and he would give it away to people in need. He would walk through the village at night. He would reach into the bedrooms of girls, put money in their shoes so that they might have money for a dowry so they could marry. The church made him a saint, and the Greeks and the Germans called him Saint Nicholas. But different countries translated that differently. The Dutch couldn't say St. Nicholas, so they started calling him Santa Claus, and the idea of giving was associated with him. Then, as the turn of the 20th century came along, there was an Episcopal minister by the name of Reverend Clement Moore, and he taught at Union Seminary in New York City. He wanted to do something creative for his children. He had studied about St. Nicholas, and he sat down and he wrote a cute little poem with a secular twist. It was about a guy who wore a red suit and had a big belly that shook like a bowl full of jelly, and he had all these reindeer, and it started out. "'Twas the night before Christmas, 
and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. His daughter liked it so much, she took it to school and shared it with her classmates. One little girl at school liked it so much, she got a copy of it. She took it home and showed it to her daddy, who just happened to be the publisher of the New York Times, and he published it. Reverend Moore was embarrassed because the people were more interested in Santa Claus than they were Jesus. Let me ask you, what do you focus on at Christmas? The hectic schedule? The presents, the budget, the money, making it all work. Jesus calls us to focus on him. Fifth, we can freely give. If you want a pattern for giving at Christmas, look at the wise men. They opened their treasure and they presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold was the gift for a king. It indicated that Jesus would be king for all time. Frankincense was a gummy substance taken from the bushes of big leaves, and they made incense from it, and they burned it in the temple. And when they made sacrifices to offer, you could smell that incense burning. Frankincense symbolized what the child was going to do in giving his life to sacrifice for the whole world. And his blood would be shed for our forgiveness of sins. He would be the great new high priest. Myrrh was a sticky resin from a limestone region in Asia Minor. They used it as embalming fluid. When people died, they would inject it into their bodies. That symbolized that the child would live forever. The Spirit of God was so much in him that not even the grave and death could hold him. Gifts that really not worth that much by themselves, but look what they symbolize. Gold, the kingship of Christ. Frankincense, the priestly nature of the sacrifice. Myrrh, the immortality of the fact that he would live forever. When God gave, he just decided to give the best. He gave himself. What will you give to others at Christmas? Still trying to decide? One woman said to her husband, you know, honey, this year... Why don't we just give sensible gifts to each other, like, say, a tie and a diamond ring? <laughs> now, let me ask you, is your giving in relationship to what you're going to receive? The best way to celebrate Christmas is to freely give. And then finally, number six, we can fulfill God's plan. The wise men were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, and they returned to the country by another route. If you want Christmas to really happen, it's not just a day on the calendar, but rather it's a way of life. It's placing our lives in the center of God's will and applying His principles to them. And when we do what He wants us to, it works out. But what happens is when we do when we want to, that's when we get into trouble. If those wise men had done what they thought was best, they probably would have been killed, and so would the baby Jesus. But God said to them, Take this child and his mother and escape to Egypt. And they were there to follow and fulfill God's will for their lives. Christmas is when we place our lives at the center of God's will, and then he gives us the direction as we start walking. 
Maybe you saw the movie years ago, Bridge Over the River Kwai. It was written by Dr. Ernest Gordon. He wrote the book, The Valley of the Kwai. In it, he describes two Christmases in Thailand during World War II, Christmas of 1942, Christmas of 1943. In the first Christmas in 1942, Dr. Gordon says that the prisoners were fighting over food, their beds were full of bugs, and the men didn't take care of their appearance. But in 1943, 2,000 soldiers came out and sang Christmas carols, and their attitude was completely different. Not one prisoner was worried about what he was going to get for Christmas. Their appearance was cleaned up, their beds were debugged, they had a sense of pride, and they shared their food with the weaker prisoners. Everybody asked, well, what was the difference? Dr. Gordon said it was Jesus Christ and his principles fleshed out in the life of one person. There was a big, strong officer there in the camp who was a Christian, and he noticed that there was an enlisted man who was getting weaker every day. So that big, strong Christian officer started taking his food to that weak enlisted man. And the enlisted man started to regain his strength and get stronger and get better. But that officer died between Christmas of 1942 and 1943. When they had his graveside service, they said, greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for a friend. The caring Christian spirit spread to everybody else in the camp. People began to accept Christ as their Savior. People became interested in other people. And Christmas 1943 was very different from Christmas of 1942 because of Christ and because of somebody who let the babe of Bethlehem live out his life through him. You know what can make Christmas difference different in Panama City this year? Panama City Beach. It's when all of us as people find the star. We find the star, we'll feel the joy. Then we can follow the star, and we can focus on him. And we can freely give, and we can be dedicated to fulfilling his plan. Then, when we do that, Christmas happens. You know, if you and I will follow the wise men, then on the day after Christmas, we won't have to pray, Father, forgive us our Christmases. Let us pray. Oh, God, your word teaches us those who have ears to hear, let them hear. I pray in your son's name. Amen.